Welcome to the WinFL Show. Welcome to the Outer Hebrides. It's the WinFL Show. I'm your host, Ian McKinnon, and I'm joined this week by Jake McGee. How are you doing, Jake? Not too bad. You brought in the, the reinforcements for the business end of the season. <laughs> that's the way we've got to do it. <laughs> now that now that the season is done, you know that's all the that's all the the subpar stuff out of the way. We're into the important stuff. So I thought I'd bring yourself in here, Jake. So we're going to be kicking off straight away with a recap of Week 18, and quite a week it was. Some exceptional games. Some games didn't really uh, tickle the old uh, interest, but there was certainly plenty of games with playoff implications. And we're going to start straight away with the first game on the Saturday, which was the Kansas City Chiefs at the Las Vegas Raiders. The Chiefs come away with a 31-13 victory in front of 62,136 fans at Allegiant Stadium. And at no point did it look like the Chiefs were ever in any danger of losing this game. They were actually up 24-3 at half. Time. Uh, Jarek McKinnon, he scored a touchdown to pass from Patrick Mahomes, and it was another ridiculous sort of underhand throw from Mahomes to open the scoring. And uh, other than a Daniel Carson field goal in the first half, that was it for the Raiders right up until uh, midway through the third quarter with another field goal from Daniel Carson and then a garbage time touchdown. And a great pass from Jared Stidham to Hunter Renfro. This was Stidham's first start for the Raiders, and he didn't look bad in this game but just could not keep up with Kansas City and Mahomes in particular I mean Jake did you see any of this game what's your impression of Stidham I'll be honest I thought that the dropping Derek Carr essentially for for the final game of the season um, and bringing in Stidham just seemed bizarre to me because it, it looked like McDaniels was saying oh, we, we want to see what we've got in Stidham but he's been with Stidham for, you know he was there with New England with Stidham surely by now he knows what he's got in this guy well what's your thoughts on that? It's interesting because Stidham is basically a rookie except he's been in the league for what four or five years he's probably a year younger than me it's it's an odd one but it's hard to kind of argue with how he's played these last two weeks because he played against the 49ers, mm-hmm. played very well, and then, you know, only narrowly lost to them. And then again, you're not really expecting the, the Raiders to put much of a fight against uh, the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs started off with an 89.5% win rate and it never dipped below 90% after that. I mean, it was, like you say, it was never really in doubt. Um, it's an interesting one with the Raiders with Derek Carr because I, I quite like Derek Carr. I think he's been unfairly treated. But we've spoke before that some Raiders fans are very hot and cold on him. Some Raiders fans will agree, but like, yes, he's, you know, maybe not, you know, your top five quarterback, but he's top 10, top 15, you know, he's a, a steady guy. And then there's others that think he's mediocre at best and are probably quite looking forward to a fresh start, whoever that may be, whether it's Stidham going forward or someone else in this offseason. I think personally, I think the Raiders have to be looking either at someone in the draft or someone in free agency. I did see uh <laughs> a tweet and it was speculative at best uh, stating that the Raiders might be looking at Tom Brady and I just ne- I nearly died I thought oh my god if that happens that'll be just the worst thing that could ever happen if Tom Brady goes to the Raiders I would oh it'd be awful but he- he'll never do it he'll never go to the Raiders there's no way he's going to a division that has Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes in it he's not going well, to do it they they tried um when before he was going to the books, so the, the Raiders tried to, to groom Brady, and that didn't work out too well. 
And I would say that even though they've got Devontae Adams now, they're probably a less desirable destination, especially for a 45-year-old Tom Brady, because you have to mention his age when you bring him up. Um, yeah, he, I, I, he might I, even I, be 46 now. I, I don't really care about his birthday, but you know, you have to always bring up how old he is. Yeah, if you hadn't mentioned it, I, I wouldn't have known because no one has ever mentioned his age before when they talk about Tom Brady. It's just, it's really, apart from every time he drops back to throw. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to move on now and we're coming to a huge game. A massive game for the AFC South title between the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Tennessee Titans at TIAA Bank Stadium in front of 70,050 fans who watched the Titans jump out to a lead. They were up 10-0 on the Jacksonville Jaguars and people thought this might be it. The Titans are going to win it despite the fact they didn't have their starting quarterback in. But the Jaguars showed tough. They came through with a 20-16 victory. And you're talking about a team that for the past two years has had the first overall pick in the draft. This year, they win their division. They win it with a total uh, record of 9-8, and eight, pushing the t- Titans down to 7-10. and 10. And more importantly than that, they get a playoff game. Jacksonville Jaguars fans are delighted. Turns out, Jake... The Jaguars are very good. Jaguars Who would have thought it? And, uh, I mean, you look at Trevor Lawrence, he had another really solid game. 20 of 32, 212 yards, one touchdown. He was only sacked once. And I think probably the biggest thing for Lawrence, the difference over the first half of the season, second half of the season, he's been upright. They've been able to protect him. Not a great game from Travis Etienne in this one. He only had seven attempts for 17 yards. Um, But you have to think, Jake, going into the playoffs, are the Jaguars one of the... I don't want to say for the Super Bowl, but, you know, a dark horse. I don't think many teams particularly want to play this team just now. What do you reckon? Uh, it's one of the games, I mean, we'll cover it later, I'm sure, in the wild card, I'm really looking forward to. I mean, they're, they're you know, the lovable losers no more, which is another team that, again, we'll talk about later. This has been the year where the lovable losers all of a sudden aren't losing. They're, they're you know, they're fighting, they're showing the promise, and it's it's good, you know, when you have high draft pick year after year, the aim and the whole point of that is so that this happens, that you turn it around and you start fighting for divisions, you make it to the playoffs. And that's ex- exactly what the, the Jaguars are doing. I mean, this off-season we spoke about how they went out and got some weapons. And even someone like Evan Ingram, who maybe didn't start their season too good, has come on well towards the end of the season. They're, they're a lively team going into this playoffs and they are certainly not one to be kind of glossed over. And I think this game against the Chargers coming up is is going to be electric. Yeah, let's not forget the Chargers actually stuck it. Uh, sorry, the, the Jaguars stuck it to the Chargers earlier this season. They absolutely walloped them. So it's going to be a very tough to pick, but we, we'll look at that as we go forward. So we're going to move on now. We come to the Buffalo Bills and the New England Patriots at Highmark Stadium. Playoff implications on the line for both teams here. In front of 70,753 fans, the Buffalo Bills come away with a 35-23 victory. Um, it was close for much of the game. It was in within one score right up until midway through the fourth quarter there. Um, but the Bills came away. But the big story from this game, of course, 
two kickoff return touchdowns by Naeem Hines. Opened the scoring with the opening kickoff, 96 yards uh, for the six, and then in the third quarter took another kickoff, 101 yards for the score there. And the Bills come away with a 35-23 victory, and it hurt the Patriots this one. Now, they were in a sort of three-way. Um, I don't want to say a three-way tie, but it was three-way position with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Miami Dolphins as to who was going to get the final playoff spot with this loss to Buffalo. The Patriots got knocked out of the uh, playoff race. Uh, The Bills now have the number two seed. And as we alluded to last week, um, if the Buffalo Bills play the Kansas City Chiefs if they go through to the AFC Championship game that game will be held at a neutral location I'm not sure if they've actually said what that location would be yet uh, but it will be held at a neutral stadium if the Buffalo Bills advance to the AFC Championship game and play the Kansas City Chiefs that that's what would be happening there but in this game it was all Bills they came away dealt with the Patriots Uh, Jake did you take anything from this game at all? It was something that we mentioned on, I think it was the game of the week, or there was some time we were talking about the Bills just after, mm-hmm. um, obviously, what happened with DeMar. And I, I mentioned, you know, all being well, and, and hopefully he does turn out well, which, you know, he's been released from the hospital, which is great. I was saying the Bills could really use this as positive energy, and they've got something to play for. And I think that is exactly what's happened. I mean, they were already a good team, but now this has given them an extra, extra push, an extra bit of motivation. And that is like gold dust for coaches and for fans. You know, they can really rally around it. And you do not want to be, you know, neutral location or not, the Bills fans will make that, you know, as much of a home game as possible. And they look like a train at the moment. And I I don't know who's going to be able to take them off the tracks. Yeah, I mean, I I think despite, you know, a lot of the teams that have gone through to the playoffs, it does still seem to be a three-way race between the Bills, the Bengals and the Chiefs as who is actually the best team in that conference in the AFC. So we'll need to wait and see, obviously, as the playoff picture pans out through the the next couple of weeks. I, nobody wants to play the Bills, but then you could argue nobody wants to play the Bengals or the Chiefs. So eventually someone's going to have to play them at some point. We'll just need to wait and see what happens. But we're going to move on, Jake. We're going to go, speaking of the Bengals, we're going to Paycor Stadium, where the Cincinnati Bengals took on the Baltimore Ravens in front of 65,849 fans. And the Bengals come away with a win 27-16. They went up to 12-4 to get the third seed in the AFC. Baltimore Ravens knocked down to 10-7. and seven. Once again, the Ravens did not have Lamar Jackson. They had Anthony Brown in at quarterback. He really struggled in this one. 19-44, 286 yards, but he threw two picks. He was sacked four times and he lost a fumble as well. Um, it, it's been really hard for this Ravens team without Lamar. And as far as I can make out, Jake, it doesn't look like he's going to be starting for them uh, this weekend. Yeah, it doesn't sound too hopeful. And it's an odd one to me because Baltimore are a very run-heavy team, even when with their quarterback. And trusting Anthony Brown to throw the ball 44 times is asking, you know, I'm actually surprised it was only two interceptions at that, you know. Yeah. You can't be asking these backup quarterbacks, your third-string quarterbacks, most teams anyway, uh, can't be asking that kind of player to throw 44 times and expect it to go too well. There's the biggest takeaway I had from this game is probably the the most inventive or the best TD celebration of the week with Joe Mixon imitating a coin toss. 
Um, so with the Bengals beating the Ravens, that means they avoid the coin flip. But I think it was a bit satire and a bit of a, a dig at the NFL that they weren't too impressed that it could come down to a coin flip. But, you know, why not use use that and uh, make, a, make a few people giggle with a celebration? Oh, quite right. Yeah, so the the Bengals move in. They seem to be doing quite nicely. They're into the playoffs, obviously. Uh, the Ravens, as we've already alluded to, they're playing this week. And it doesn't look like Lamar, Lamar Jackson's going to be suiting up. I think it's hard to see how the Ravens could be anything but one and done in the playoffs. But I've been wrong before, so let's not speculate too much on that. So we're going to move on and we come to the Atlanta Falcons and Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Mercedes-Benz Stadium in front of 69,276 fans who watched the Atlanta Falcons come away with a 30-17 victory in a game that literally meant nothing. Um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tom Brady comes out um, throws a few passes, he threw 17 attempts, completed 13 of them, basically to ensure that he would break his own record for attempts and completions in a season. He then left the game and Kyle Trask and Blaine Gabbert took over, uh, but they were no match, no match whatsoever for Desmond Ridder of the Atlanta Falcons. I never thought I'd say that. And the running of Tyler uh, Algier. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing your name there correctly, Tyler, if you're listening. I hope I am. Um, and of course, Drake London, a huge game, six catches, 120 yards himself. The Falcons come away with a win. Um, I don't think this was a particularly good sort of dress rehearsal for the Buccaneers, if that's what they were trying to do. But they did rest a lot of the starters to go into the, the wildcard uh, game this week. Jake, what was your thoughts? My thoughts are the books should get annihilated this week, really. When, I mean, initially you look at Blaine Gabbert's 119.3 rating, you think, okay, he had a good showing. 6 of 8, 29 yards, average of 3.6. Then Cal Trask comes in, goes 3 of 9, 23 yards, average of 2.6. I mean, everyone gets on Brady for being a, a dink and dunk, you know, screen pass, check down guy, but it seems the books' offense is just completely committed to this now and against a, a Cowboys defensive line I, I, I fear for them this was a, a sour one for the Saints obviously it would have been a different story if this game meant something for the Saints and they needed the Falcons to win um, obviously that wasn't the case after the week before but I mean it's a good showcase for Desmond Ridder uh, towards the back end of the season he's obviously getting a chance to, to show his worth and getting a run out which I think is very good I mean they've got a good running back like St. Algier. They've got the veteran Cordell Patterson. Mm. Drake London had another good game. They are putting, you know, they've not got many pieces, but the pieces they've got sure do look good. So they, they can certainly take positives for Falcons in terms of going forward. Uh, and it was probably a better season than they were expecting. And like I say, at least they've got the positives going into next season that some of these rookies and, and maybe lesser known guys are making a bit of an impact. Yeah, it was good to see Ritter playing, actually, because we, we were saying most through most of the season, you know, why is he not playing? Because Mariota looked so bad through through the entire season. You think, why is Ritter not playing? So it was good to see him getting uh, a couple of games under his belt, a few throws under his belt. And with the exception of uh, old man Patterson, who's still one of the most explosive players in the NFL, this is a very young team. A very young team uh, with some great superstars there uh, coming up. As you mentioned, you know, Drake London. Let's not forget Kyle Pitts as well. It's a very good team that they can look forward to to next season, the Falcons. So uh, speaking, unfortunately, of the Saints, Jake, 
It was the New Orleans Saints and the Carolina Panthers at Caesar Superdome in front of 70,118 fans and the Panthers come away with a 10-7 win and this one um I'll be honest for me it was hard to take hard to take any kind of positives away from this game for the Saints. Alvin Kamara played well, 23 for 107 uh and you know Andy Dalton was statistically okay but the fact that they lost this game with Sam Darnold going 5 for 15 for 43 yards no touchdowns and two interceptions it just beggars belief you've said this before Jake the Saints will always find a way to lose but I I never thought if you just look at the, the box score in this one you think there's no way there's no way the Saints lose this game and yet they did I mean I don't want to bang on about it like I'm I'm, I'm ribbing your team but what did you think of this one, Jake? I mean, that is an impressive coaching display to limit a quarterback to 43 yards and lose the ball in good conditions. It's not like it was, you know, 43 yards because it was snowing, freezing cold and, no, and blowing no. a gale. Uh, it was 43 yards because Sam Donald's not very good. Uh, the Saints' defense is normally pretty good. Um, but it, it was a very strange one. The first half was a very poor half. Hmm. But, you know, the Saints were winning, so you can look past it. And then there's something seemed to switch. I don't know if someone maybe informed the Panthers that they could run the ball, but they came out the second half and realized, hey, we can run the ball. And it just felt very ominous. I mean, 14 plays, 82 yards, straight after half. And it was like, okay, we're going to find a way to lose this. And sure enough, we found a way to lose it, even after getting a very last minute interception setting up for a nice easy field goal and uh big nuts lutz is more of a he's he's he's, he's, he's not got very, yeah he's uh not got many fans in new orleans at the moment after a a pretty shaky season and that kind of sums it all up really with the saints i mean terrible coaching our kick has gone terrible who knows who our quarterback is unlike the falcons i don't think we have too much to look forward to um, next season, but as I was talking to to Ewan today, uh, crazy scenario. Let's just hope Sean Payton does the Saints one more favor and gets us a, a good draft pick. Well, it, I think that will happen. I'll be honest. I think that will happen. Um, okay, so you're the GM of the Saints. Do you immediately yep. go quarterback first round? Well, as I was saying to you and today my crazy theory my dream scenario as a, a massively biased, uh, biased Saints fan yes. is the Cardinals no longer have a head coach they no longer have a GM and Kyler Murray is said to have an input on who the next coach is going to be Kyler Murray is a small quarterback who does really well with small quarterbacks well, Sean Payton he certainly does so the Cardinals if they're picking I think it's three, I think they're picking third maybe fourth they're definitely a top five pick Send it the Saints way. We'll give you Sean Payton. And then we'll see what the Bears are doing. And if the Bears are going to take a quarterback, we'll take Justin Fields. If the Bears don't take a quarterback, we'll just take whoever the Texans don't. This is obviously never going to happen, but let me let me live. Let me dream. Do you think maybe that Sean Payton, like the smaller the quarterback, the better he does? I mean, like Drew Brees, is, what was he, 5'9"? 5'10"? It depends. Sometimes they listed him as six foot, so, you know. Uh, I don't think he was six foot. I know, I don't Six think foot he if he was wearing high heels, but no, I think yes. he's about 5'10". Um, you know, so maybe 5'11 Ky- on a good day. Kyler Murray, 
Um, I'm not sure exactly how tall he is, but I mean, like if he if it if it scales with height, then Kyler Murray is going to turn into Peyton Manning under Sean Payton. So that wouldn't I mean, be a bad thing. <laughs> I think Kyle Murray would definitely be excited to play for a coach like Sean Payton. If he's got an input, I wouldn't be surprised if he's pulling for someone, not necessarily Sean Payton, but someone like Sean Payton in terms of an offensive genius. Um, it's been proven with the Saints. I was, again, when I was talking to you, and our offensive coordinator this year, Pete Carmichael, has been our offensive coordinator for as long as I've known the Saints and everyone thought he'll just carry on. He, he is Sean Payton, you know, we'll be fine. And the, I think this year is proof that the Saints did miss Sean Payton. Oh, definitely, absolutely, without a doubt. Uh, I, I think you're right. If any, if any coach sort of proved his worth, not having Sean Payton really showed on the Saints because that offense just looked stagnant at times. There was times where it looked like they just could get nothing done whatsoever, and not just a couple of times, unfortunately. Um, so we're going to move on. We come to the NFC North with the Chicago Bears and the Minnesota Vikings met at Soldier Field in front of 60,007 fans. And my goodness, I did not think I would see Nathan Peterman this season when, when it kicked off. I never thought I'd see him on a football pitch uh, ever again. Uh, but there he was. He went 11-19 for 114 yards and one touchdown, no interceptions. <laughs> but it wasn't enough to stave off the Minnesota Vikings. I don't think any of us thought it would be. They came away with a 29-13 win over the Bears. Kirk Cousins had a solid day, 17-20, just three incompletions for Kirk Cousins, one touchdown. He's then replaced by Nick Mullins, who has only two incompletions, 11 of 13 for 116 yards, albeit one of those incompletions did go for an interception. But the Vikings had absolutely no problem at all with the Bears. Justin Fields, uh, as Justin Fields goes, so does this Bears offense. I think we've all seen that this season. This is another team looking towards next year that... I think they've got a lot of positives to look forward to. Just before we talk about them, Minnesota Vikings, 13-4 and four they finished with, and yet nobody, nobody is scared of the Vikings. Not a single team in the NFC is like, oh, I hope we don't meet Minnesota, because they've shown that bad teams can score big on them. They've shown, they can, although, although they did have that ridiculous 30, what was it, 33-point comeback against the Colts? I think I was, yeah. I think I was more to do with, with the Colts coaching than anything else that game um but the vikings have shown they are very vulnerable um and 13 and 4 who'd have thought that at this point so the two two teams bears 3 and 14 vikings 13 and 4 looking forward to next year i'm more excited about watching the bears than i'm the vikings and what's your view i think the bears are stupid for trading for uh, Chase Claypool, it looks worse every day when uh, they've given away the 32nd pick for Chase Claypool and his like four catches or something like that. But it, it's not not great. I mean, a good win for the Steelers and their organization, as always. For, for the Bears, it's certainly in terms of looking forward, definitely. It'd be interesting to see if they bring back David Montgomery. I mean, what more can you really say about a game that included Nathan Peterman, Tim Boyle? And Nick Mullins, you know, that, that doesn't really feel like taking us into the playoffs kind of football. I mean, Tim Boyle threw two, uh, well, eight times, two completions, two interceptions. I mean, that's 
That's impressive uh, for to be an NFL quarterback <laughs> and, and manage that. It, it was no surprise that Nathan Peterman came in and, and anything he did really was going to look better in comparison. But uh, I think, unlike the books, I think this was a good warm-up for the Vikings. I mean, Kirk Hudson comes out, looks fantastic, gets to, to sit the second half and, and feel pretty good going into the playoffs. The, the Vikings, though, are... They're a great team to watch because you're always in a close game. They they love close games. They more often than not win the close games, but it's not, like you say, no one's really scared of them. And I don't think the Giants will be scared of them. And I think it'll probably will end up being a close game because that's that's the way the Vikings like it. They like it. Dramatic, let's say. Yeah, I think I saw a stat that said the, the Chicago, was it the Chicago Bears this year? Uh, like 0-7 in one score games. And then the Vikings are the Vikings like are 10 and 1 <laughs> or 11-0 or something. Complete opposite. They won every close game. And you're right. It does seem like every game was is last minute, win it by a field goal or win it by a touchdown or in overtime. You're thinking, oh my word, maybe this could be the team of destiny. You know, those teams that just get lucky right when they need it the most could be the Vikings. I don't know. Um, I mean, they've, they've shown they've shown they got the heart, and that will help. You know, there'll be some teams that will be falling behind or in a close game that might yeah. get nervous. The Vikings will feel right at home, so it may, it may help them certainly mentality-wise. They will. Now, I'm going to say something here, and I don't want you to overreact, okay? Uh, because I'm not I'm not making a direct comparison, so don't don't go crazy here. So, uh, Bill Walsh is 49ers. Excuse me. (laughs) Bill Walsh's 49ers back in, I'm going to say 1980. I'm guessing it's 1980. uh, Played your New Orleans Saints. And they were trailing at halftime 35 to 7. Okay. Um, And they came out and they won the game. Now, the, the, the 49ers were rubbish that year. Unfortunately, Jake, and I'm sorry to say it, your Saints were even worse. Okay. Yeah, that's Um, no surprise. They were. This was the height of the the ants with the brown, and the brown the, paper bags <laughs> over the head. Yeah, it was it was it was awful. Uh, it was either it was either seventy nine or eighty. I forget what year it was. But Bill Walsh had said after that game, despite the fact that I think the Fort Niners finished like three and thirteen that year, and the Saints were two and fourteen. Whatever it was, he said um, because of this, our team will know they are always in a game. They'll know. If they're training by 10 points, we came back from 28. This Vikings team, if they're training by 20 points at halftime, their heads are not going to go down as much as other teams' heads might because they came back from 33. (laughs) I mean, if I'm I'm the coach of the the Vikings whose name I've forgotten, oh my God, what's his name? why have you done this to me? I know his name and you just now done this to me. The, the, head, the Vikings head coach, whose name escapes me for the moment, um, at halftime, if they're training by 20 points at halftime, he's not going to be, you know, saying, oh, well, he is going to be saying, you know, we need to do better, blah, blah, blah. Of course he is. But he's not going to be saying, oh, you're not going to be thinking we can't win this because they've already come back from 33 points down. So... It actually does stand the Vikings in good stead. Again, I'm not making a comparison to Bill Walsh and the 49ers. I'm just saying, just saying, 
it's, it's definitely stands them in good stead. So we're going to move on. We're going to move on from the NFC North to the AFC North where the Pittsburgh Steelers take on the Cleveland Browns at Acrisure Stadium in front of 65,019 fans. And they watched Mike Tomlin have yet another year without a losing record. As the Steelers come away with a 28-14 win over the Browns, they went to 9-8. They did miss out in the playoffs, as we already mentioned earlier on. Um, but they played pretty well in this game and I think they've got a lot to look forward to next year. Kenny Pickett actually looked pretty good. He threw some very nice passes in this game and the defence was all over Deshaun Watson picked him off twice, sacked him seven times, forced a fumble as well and this this Steelers team, again another young team, Kenny Pickett, they've got Najee Harris they've got some good things to look forward to. I'm not sure about this Browns team. I'm hearing talk that uh, Jadavion Clowney is leaving the Browns at the end of the season. He's out. I have no idea how much longer Miles Garrett will stick around with this team. Maybe he will. For all I know, he's a, a diehard Browns guy. He might be. If I was him, I'd be on the first plane out of there. Uh, but, Jake, I'll put it to you. The Steelers win. Browns don't. What did you make of it? Happy days. Uh, I think the bubble has <laughs> firmly, firmly burst in Cleveland, and I'm, I'm all here for it. I, like yourself, was rooting for, for Tomlin, especially because we mentioned it so much at the start of the year about how he's never had a negative season. And yeah. at one point, it was looking very, very ominous. But oh, they, what were they? Were they two and two and six? Was it two and six? Yeah, they took, took themselves out of a, a right hole. I mean, wow. Kenny Pickett, thirteen of nine, uh, thirteen of twenty nine doesn't look great, but like you say, he threw some great passes. Uh, another team that will be looking forward and will be thinking or hoping that they've got their franchise quarterback, which is the most important part of the team. Like I said, they do have some young talent. That defense is a nightmare to play against. Like you say, seven sacks, but they had six tackles for loss, six passes defense, the interceptions, like you mentioned. I mean, they were all over the field. As for the Browns, inside and out, it seems a bit of a mess. I believe, let me have a look. Yep, Joe Woods, their defensive coordinator, had mentioned about how he'll come back next year and they'll fix things. Well, he won't be coming back next year because he's been fired. Yeah. And, and like, like you mentioned with Clowney, I don't know if you saw his comments, but basically came out and said, I'll play for someone who's stupid enough to pay me, which probably isn't a great selling point and his agent's <laughs> probably not over the moon. If, uh, if that was I the case, he should stay in Cleveland because they're, yeah. they're, paying, they're stupid for paying people. But he certainly seems to have burned that bridge, and I don't know. He's obviously a talented, you know, player, former first round, well, number one pick. But his attitude seems to be very questionable, along with his work ethic. And when you're burning bridges in the NFL, it's there's a reason why the the good, quiet guys stick around for fourteen, fifteen years, even as a backup, because they're good in the locker room. And these kind of stories, even though we're not even in the the off season certainly won't help him going forward, and doesn't really bother me. And I'm I'm quite happy. I mean, when you've got Nick Chubb and Cream Hunt and Deshaun Watson's your second best rusher, that's probably not a great look for the coaching staff either. No, definitely not. And um, right, so speaking of Deshaun Watson, um, through this season he went three and three, fifty eight point two percentage completion, lowest of his career. Uh, 1,100 yards, but he did only play in six games. Seven touchdowns, five picks. He had the lowest yards per attempt of his career. Um, he does not look like the person that uh, 
Browns are hoping they were getting, but he missed a full year. You know, he did, and then eleven games. And I think we'd all said this. He he might. You know, it's going to take time for him to to get back to what he was, if he can ever get back to what he was. Um, personally, and this is purely my own personal opinion, um, I hope he doesn't. And I hope he absolutely stinks it up and the Browns waste all that money that they spent on him. That, that's what I hope happens. Um, but that's, again, that's just me. The, the, the Browns, they're falling apart as we expected the Browns to do. You know, we all thought the Browns were going to fall apart, and they have done, and um, I've got no issues with that whatsoever. So we're going to move on, Jake, and we come to a huge matchup between the Houston Texans and the Indianapolis Colts, a team at 2-13-1 and and versus a team at 4-11-1, and 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 it made it to this week's... It's the Western Isles Game of the Week. Jake, take it away. In a game that had absolutely no rights in being in this segment. No. <laughs> absolutely no right. No no one saw this coming. With all, with um, all the playoff implication games going on. <laughs> but this was a game of the week. Absolutely. 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 I mean, in a, in a must-lose game for the Texans. Lovey Smith and Davis Mills had the last laugh by going for two and costing the Texans the number one draft pick. Most likely Davis Mills' last throw for Texans, I would imagine. Definitely the last game, Lovey Smith um, coaches. And another thing I noticed is that Brandon Cooks, uh, another person likely to not be on the Texans next year, went five for 106 and a touchdown. So it, it, everyone who's leaving the Texans is uh, waving goodbye and uh, with a, a wry smile on their face, knowing that they cost them the number one pick. This game, it felt like deja vu at times. Uh, the Texans took the lead early. They looked pretty comfortable. Uh, at one point, uh, Ellinger for the Colts threw a pick six, and then the next drive threw another interception. And you're thinking, okay, this is pretty much this, this game's already all over. The Colts are awful, and the Texans, for some reason, want to win this game. And then all of a sudden, late in the third, Davis Mills throws a pick six, and the next drive throws an interception. And you're thinking, I've seen this before. And it just felt like that was it. The Texans intentionally or not, had tanked an easy win and a good performance to secure themselves in a one pick, which I don't think anyone would have been too surprised or too angry about. No, no. When he threw that when he threw that second interception, I was like, right, someone has said something. Yeah. <laughs> someone Take a from, dive. Yeah, someone from the from the, the top and I'm not saying Lovey Smith. In fact, definitely not Lovey Smith. <laughs> Def- well, I think that is definitely 100% not Lovey Smith. Someone up top had said, "What are you doing? Why are you winning this game? We don't want to win this game. We want the number 1 pick. All you need to do is lose the game." And then he throws a pick six and then throws another interception. Ah, that's that's more like it. And I'll bet you I'll bet you anything that someone told Lovey Smith he was going to get fired before this game ended. Because yeah, that's, I think the, that's the I think only the explanation. Was on the wall. It's the only explanation for what happened next. So Jake, tell us what happened next. I mean, they, they took a sack with what, minutes left, seconds left. They took a sack, mm-hmm. left on fourth and 20. You know, game's over. Just at that point, honestly, take a knee. You know, just... Just take your medicine, get this game over and done with. No, fourth and twenty in a pass that really should have been picked off. Somehow right, makes its right way through. through his hands. 
honestly, right through his hands. It was destiny, right through to Atkins, who himself went four for 72 touchdowns and the all-important two-point conversion to lead the Texans to a 32-31 to 31 victory over the Colts. I mean, the only coach that should have been fired after this is Jeff Saturday. Yeah. Was he one in seven as an interim coach? Yeah. Including an absolute capitulation? I mean, yeah. and the, the stories out there that he's in contention to be the head coach. I, mean, I saw in the last decade, I think the Texans have won the AFC South four times. I think the Jaguars have now won it twice. And I think the Titans have won it twice. And Jim Irsay and the Colts have won it zero times. In that time frame, we've already mentioned that Jags have had the number one pick multiple times. They've yeah. still won the division two, two, two more times row, than the Colts. Two in a row. Two number one picks in a row. Twice. They have been the worst team in the entire league. And they're still better than the Colts in the last decade. That's, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. I mean, for the Colts, it was a bit of a familiar story. Um, doesn't matter who's a quarterback, they lean on the, the running backs, not only rushing, but also receiving. I mean, Zach Moss had a monster game, 18 rushes for 114 yards and a touchdown, had three receptions for seven yards. And then there was Deion Jackson, who rushed eight times for 30, uh, 35 yards, pretty modest, but led the team in catches and yards, six for 75. And they're certainly a team going forward that you can't really feel too positive about. They don't have a quarterback. They've got a running back if he can stay healthy. Mm-hmm. They, they they got a half decent tight end in Moali Cox. I like Moali Cox, but wide receivers they still not addressed. I mean, they don't even have a head coach really. So it's the Texans probably feel better than the, the Colts going forward. And like I say, it, it was funny and enjoyable, and it certainly wasn't a game that I was initially going to keep an eye on or care about. But it's a game that looking fondly back on with, like I say, a wry smile on the face. Yeah, definitely. Me. Uh, I mean, so uh, the game was at Lucas Oil. I should mention this. The game was at Lucas Oil Stadium. Sixty-three thousand six hundred fifty-five fans watched this game. Full uh, house. Ah, uh, full house. And I would have loved. I would have loved to have been on the sideline when they scored that touchdown. When Jordan Aikens catches the touchdown pass, and then Lovey Smith says, "Go for two. I would have loved, I was like, I'll bet you there was people on the sidelines and button up in the boxes losing their mind. Absolutely losing their mind. And I don't know what was going through Lovey Smith's head. Well, I do. He was like, um, expletive it. Yeah. We're, we're doing it. Right. I love that. It. Oh, I love it. The cojones in this guy. Just amazing. Fantastic. Um, uh, you mentioned Jeff Saturday that uh, playing Sam Ellinger. I mean, he he played Sam Ellinger against the Patriots. You know, like what well, you've got Nick Foles in your team when when they played the Patriots. What are you doing? Why would you play Ellinger? And, and some of the decisions by Jeff Saturday, you're just thinking, good grief! And and you know for a fact, Jeff Saturday is is not a stupid man. He he he, he, he was on the. The union, I'm pretty sure, for years, and he's a yeah, very well respected, you know, well respected. before coaching. And uh, you know, he's a, a umpteen time Pro Bowl center for Peyton Manning's played with the best who's ever done it. He's an analyst for years, can't, and of course, we all know the analysts know better than everyone. Uh, we all know this. You and I, Jake, we know how this game should be done. 
better than anyone in the actual league. We know this for a fact. So for someone, oh, man, coach. For, for, for an analyst to then go, someone right, right, on you go, you coach. And it just goes to show you. It was. Well, we've, we've seen it with Mayock and uh, being a GM, maybe not yep. as easy as they thought. And now we've seen it with an analyst go to head coach, maybe not as easy as they thought. Yeah. If he does get another gig, hopefully he's uh takes that into account and is uh, a bit nicer to head coaches before he starts slamming them. I think a, an awful lot of humble pie will be served this uh, off season to Jeff Saturday. If he does. Well, I would hope so. You'd like to think so. Good grief. But as it is, the Texans beat the Colts there to 21 and that was our game of the week, and nobody saw that coming. No one saw this coming seven days ago. Absolutely fantastic. So we're going to move on, and we come to the Miami Dolphins and the New York Jets at Hard Rock Stadium in front of 66,429 fans, and if the last game was game of the week, this was the worst game arguably of the season uh, the worst I've seen since the Broncos Colts game earlier this season it was awful this game was the most boring game the most boring game I've seen in a long time and the Dolphins come away with an 11-6 win it was 6-6 right up until 18 seconds to go in the game Jason Sanders booms a 50-yard field goal to put the Dolphins up by three um, and then essentially the final play of the game the Jets start throwing laterals all over the place and it goes all the way back uh, for a safety to finish 11-6 to to the Dolphins Dolphins are in the playoffs uh, the Jets I I don't know. Looking at these Jets, Skylar Thompson played um, for Miami at quarterback. Joe Flacco played for the Jets. Do we think? Do we think Zach Wilson's coming back for the Jets next? I'll be surprised. I'll be very surprised if he's playing for the Jets next year. Jake, what do you think of that? I will be asking questions. I've praised the Jets um, front office. Uh, you know, at the start of the season. Uh, I have faith in them, and they've you know certainly had a better season than before. If they bring back Zach Wilson, I will raise some questions. He said he's going to make life hell um, and, and battle for his his job, but uh, I'd sooner bring back Mike White than I would Zach Wilson. I just maybe he can be a solid backup, but he's never give me any reason to believe that he's going to be a starting quarterback in this league. No, no, and and his whole attitude just. It, it stinks, let's be honest here. Um, yeah, I'm with you on Mike White. If, if they roll with anyone, it should be Mike White. I, I don't think they should draft another quarterback. Uh, this, they probably will. They probably will. Now, they looking probably at, will. They probably will. <laughs> now, Dolphins. Skylar Thompson, as I mentioned, was the quarterback for this game. Um, if Tua doesn't play, the Dolphins are in trouble. I think we all know this. Um, mm-hmm. We can all agree on this fact. Um, what worries me is that I'm being, you know, putting on my honesty hat here. Um, I don't think Tua should. I, I don't think Tua should play, even if they win a game and go to the next round. Because if he gets another concussion, then his career is over. I, I, I don't, don't see any way out of that, um, and it's it can be life threatening. He's had three concussions this year, um, and it's just if he gets a fourth, he he will probably have to seriously consider retirement, which at his age would be an absolute tragedy. I think 
for the sake of this young man and for the sake of the franchise going forward, they should just say, do you know what, if we lose this playoff game, it doesn't matter, it's always next year. That's what the Dolphins should be saying. Jake, what's your opinion on this? I don't think they will. I think if he is ready to go, they'll throw him in there. But if, if anything happens to him, my goodness, could you imagine the repercussions? What do you think, Jake? He will want to play, and the Dolphins will obviously want to play because it gives him the best chance to win. He's already been ruled out um, against the Bills this weekend. He will not play in the wild card. If <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to be a problem we have to think about, yeah, um, especially yeah. a backup quarterback against the Bills. If by some miracle and then some crazy story the, the Dolphins do win, it would be interesting, but I don't think it's something we're going to have to worry about. I am with you. I, would, I don't want to see him play again this year. I don't, I don't want to see him get hurt again because it's scary, scary stuff. Especially, you know, one concussion's bad enough, but when you've had a few over your career, you get worried. When you've had a few very close together, it is a sign that you should be not getting 300-pound men throwing you to the ground constantly. So I'm glad he's been ruled out for this weekend. It's pouring an absolute miracle. It's not something we have to worry about for the rest of this season, at least. That's very true. I mean, the man's had three concussions in three months. Uh, that's that's rough. Um, Not so, a good look for anyone. No, no, it, it, it's terrible. So hopefully, uh, you're right. Hopefully, it will never even come to to something we'll have to even think about. So we move on. We go to the NFC West, where the San Francisco 49ers are taking on the Arizona Cardinals in Levi Stadium. Seventy one thousand six hundred thirty eight fans watched Brock Purdy do it again, albeit against David Blau. Not really his fault, and Trace McSorley. Uh, but Brock Purdy, fifteen of 20, 178 yards, three touchdowns. The guy looks fantastic. It certainly helps if you've got Christian McCaffrey on your team as well. Uh, 10 rushes, 45 yards on him, three catches, 34 yards, and a fantastic touchdown. And George Kittle with two touchdown catches. Jake, I said last week that my pick for the NFC, if I could, if I could pick anyone, I would like to see the 49ers in the Super Bowl. Um, I'm not sure if that will happen, but if, if I could, if I had the choice, they would be a, this game just reinforced that they are so much fun to watch, and I am all aboard the Brock Party hype train. Jake, what did you think of this game? The the Fortnite just dominated from start to finish. It looked like exactly what everyone expected. I think going into this game, two teams on very opposite ends of the spectrum. I mean, we talked about the Bills being hot and, and a train that can't be stopped. I mean, that's 10 straight for the 49ers. They have been unbelievable no matter what is thrown their way in injuries, quarterback, at, at all positions they've been been hurt. I mean, we've, we've spoken about the, the trade for McCaffrey and how that has worked out. They are the hottest team in the NFL right now. And on the flip side, the Cardinals are on full rebuild almost. Uh, rebuild almost. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury gone after 28 37 and one all time mm. i mean signed an extension through 2027 at the start of this year so he's not you know that house is still looking nice because it's still paid for, for the next five years so very questionable um decision from the front office i mean steve kime has parted ways as gm rather than fired but basically fired and it's they're losing identity i mean i think hopkins has already basically been said that he's going to be traded or yeah. look to be traded this offseason it's worrying times for a Cardinals team that had high hopes you know with a hot young 
quarterback, a hot young head coach, you know, positives. And then, I mean, what a way to limp into the offseason. But like you say, the, the 49ers, they look phenomenal. They're certainly an enjoyable team to watch and an enjoyable team to root for. I mean, especially for someone like myself and yourself, without, well, all of us, I suppose, Dave as well, without a team in the, the playoffs, you look for a team that you can kind of get on board with or that you can kind of relate to. And the 49ers are hard not to like right now. I'm sure Dave disagrees. Of course um, he does. But, I'm sure he does, yes. But for, for myself and yourself, it's hard not to, to fall in love with these 49ers at the moment, especially with Brock Purdy and being called Mr. Irrelevant and having your, your jersey put out there at the end of the draft. What, what a story it will be. And teaser alert, my random stat, you will certainly like it later on. Ooh, I'm already liking the sound of it. Now, this does pose an interesting and enjoyable problem for the San Francisco 49ers. If Brock Purdy continues to play well, because he has played well, it's not like he's been rubbish and the defense has carried them uh, through these past four or five weeks. He's looked really good. If he continues to look good, and they do by some, you could say it's a miracle if you want, make it all the way to the Super Bowl. Next year, what do the 49ers do at the quarterback position? You've still got Trey Lance on the team, who was their go-to guy going into the season. You've still got Jimmy G there at the moment, not sure what's happening. And now you've brought, got Brock Purdy, who has really thrown a, a, a spanner into the works. Um, you're the 49ers GM, Jake. Let's just assume 49ers go to the Super Bowl under Brock Purdy. Even if they lose the game, what do you do at the quarterback position for next year? You don't take it off the hot hand. I was talking to you about this today. It was interesting because Jimmy G obviously was going to be traded, going to be yeah. released, yeah. was irrelevant. But they kept him on as a backup. Turned out to be a great decision when, when Trey Lance went down. You're thinking, okay, they made a smart decision. They're going to, you know, at least they've got Jimmy G a reliable backup. He goes down and you think, oh, season's over. They've lost their franchise quarterback in Lance and they're, they're reliable backup. Now they've got some random. Like you say, he's thrown a massive spanner in the in the works and mm -hmm. decided to to absolutely ball out. I mean, he's 5-0. and oh, Technically, really 6 now because he played most of the other game. Yeah. The way I see it, I'm the GM. Jimmy G, thanks for your services. We should have released or got rid of you last year. We don't need you anymore. And then it's a very interesting... Very interesting training camp, but you just don't take off the hot hand. I mean, it, it, it's going to be like Lynch and Shanahan both kind of tied their themselves to the, the Trey Lance ship at the start of this year and said it's his team. Yeah. He's our franchise quarterback. You can't really then go back on that and be like, sorry, kid, you got injured. You're fit, like, you're, you know, you're the backup. But, but you, you can't go back on Brock Purdy, even if, I, I honestly, even if they bomb out this week. I don't think you can then turn around to Brock Purdy and be like, oh, thanks, that was really cool, but you know, you don't even have to get a shot. So this yeah, is going to be... The, the, the only way they do that is if Brock Purdy throws five interceptions and fumbles twice and costs them the game. That's the only... Even then, I think he deserves a chance. I think he still deserves a chance, right? but that's the only scenario where I could see Trey Lance starting week one next year. It's, it's the only I scenario. think it's going to be something we get very sick of during the off-season. And off-season and training <laughs> camp, it's going to be a hot topic. How's Trey Lance coming along? How's this, like, when, when is he going to be able to throw a ball and, you know, be mobile? Is he going to be as mobile? And then it's going to be all training camp. Who gets what reps? Who's with the first team? Who's? It's going to be a long off-season 
in San Francisco, and that's without thinking about what's going to happen in this postseason. I mean, heaven help us, like you say, if they do get to the Super Bowl or win it, it's going to, there's going to be a new article every day about who should be the quarterback and. There'll be someone like Maurice Jones Drew out there who thinks Jimmy G should be it. So <laughs> we can always count on Maurice Jones Drew. He, he's always got he's always got a take, doesn't he? He's and there. He, honestly, he he must be there to only give incorrect takes for clicks <laughs> and for amusement. Because if he's serious about most of his takes, then I don't know. I don't want all to do. I I don't often uh, sort of see Maurice Jones Drew talking. Um, you know, I, I know he does you know, some NFL network and stuff like that. I don't often sort of see him on the telly, but I, I read a lot of the stuff that he puts on um, NFL.com and some of it's just baffling. It, it really is. But then I think to myself, you know, it's sort of harmless. It's not like, it's not like, you know, Skip Bayless, who's just an incompetent in my view. Uh, and he, purposefully says things to annoy people for for views and likes or clicks, whatever you want to call it. I think when he's John Strew just actually doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. I think it's just I think he thinks he does. And and he's like, oh yeah, 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 definitely. Um four quarterbacks. What was it? No, three quarterbacks in the top ten in the draft last year. Is that what he said? Three or four Yep, in the top ten. In the top ten. <laughs> He, even I was like, hey, what? I don't think so. Um, I couldn't believe when you told me that back at the beginning of the season. That was amazing. Um, so anyway, we, we shall move on. And we come to the NFC East with the Washington Commanders and the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field in front of 62,814 fans. Watch the Dallas Cowboys at 12-4 roll in. Roll into Washington. And they're like, yes, here we come. We're going to win this game. And we're going to go into the postseason on a high and they got absolutely obliterated by the commanders 26 to 6 Dak Prescott looked I mean pedestrian isn't even the word he looked rotten in this game and uh, Sam Howell I mean what I when I was thinking pre pre this game uh looking at it from last week and I was like I don't know who's starting a quarterback for the commanders because I was like is it Heineke is, is he hurt is he playing and I was thinking, no, is it uh, Wentz? Is he playing? And then when I heard it was Sam Howell, I thought, oh, well, this game's over. Cowboys are going to romp this one. Boy, was I wrong. Just unbelievable. I mean, they went ahead 7-0. The, the commanders, Terry McLaurin, catched a 16-yard pass from Sam Howell with uh, just four minutes gone in the game. And they never trailed. That was it. <laughs> they just carried on. 26-6, uh, to I see the final score. But Jake, what did you what did you think of this one? The Cowboys must be... Jerry Jones must be raging, absolutely raging with that result going in uh, to the wild card. The only good news is that they're playing the books and they've got half a chance, but at some point there has to be a serious conversation about Dak Prescott. He's come back, play, missed five games, I think it was in total, and is leading the league in interceptions, which has never been done. Previously, people that have missed four games have done it. But he's missed five games and he's leading the league in interceptions. I mean, the, the Cowboys have scored like 35 points per game. But it's I'm speechless, really, with his quarterback play. And hmm. The Cowboys have got a great team. They've got a great defense. They should have a franchise quarterback, you know, no questions asked. Good running game, you know, two good running backs. Great wide receivers. But to drop the ball like this, it's, like you say, does not help them going into the, to the playoffs at all. And... 
as for the the commanders, the, <laughs> it was supposed to be from uh, the early reports in the week that it was going to be a, basically a timeshare between Heineke and Howell. And Heineke, again, proven he's a great guy, basically said, give Sam Howell a chance, which is a terrible... Again, his agent is looking at him going, what are you doing? <laughs> You're killing us. Uh, I mean, like I say, it's a, a great thing to do as a person. As an athlete, probably questionable uh, that you're willing to just kind of i love i love him he's brilliant i I love it and this made me love him even more but you really got to question how much you love the game when you're like ah if i'm going to share the game you might well just give it to him um but i mean somehow seems to be loved because he got that from taylor heineke coming out and being nice to him and then carson wentz basically give his uh somehow's family his uh booth or, or whatever you call it in the stadium so that they could watch uh, in comfort and that well, and what what a way to to watch <laughs> your, your your son your brother whoever else was there go and decimate the cowboys like that i mean again a very odd result week 18 tends to throw up a few odd results but it wasn't exactly like the cowboys kind of conceded and gave up and you know we're, we're on to next week it was it was an odd one, a very odd one uh, to end the season for the cow. Well, for the, the commanders, and then, like you say, momentum-wise for for the Cowboys can't be great. But again, they're, they're facing the books. They they won't be too worried, I don't think. Um, but maybe they should be. Maybe they should be indeed. Uh, and speaking of strange things happening in the AFC West, the Denver Broncos played the Los Angeles Chargers at Mile High Stadium. That's what I'm calling it, in front of seventy-four thousand and thirty-five fans. And the Broncos scored over 30 points for the first time this year. And they come away with a win, 31-28, to against the Los Angeles Chargers. And Russell Wilson looked like Russell Wilson. The Russell Wilson we'd hoped to see all year. He waited until the final week of the season to do it. And he was launching 50-yard bombs to Jerry Judy, who had an incredible game. Jerry Judy had over 190 yards of uh, total offense in this game. Absolutely spectacular. And Russell Wilson looked great, and they come away with a 31-28 win over the Chargers. Um, Keenan Allen, I'm I'm just going to say this right now, Keenan Allen is right up there with the best receivers in the league right now. He is playing out of his mind. Some of the catches he would make, he was making were just ridiculous. And he really made the Broncos secondary look, I'm not going to say poor, but definitely average. And uh, it's not often that players can do that. The only other players who've been able to do that has been Devontae Adams, uh, who sort of general consensus is he's, he's the best receiver in the league, maybe Justin Jefferson. Um, and Keenan Allen did the exact same thing. He looked wonderful. He had eight catches for 102 yards and two touchdowns. Um, but it wasn't enough for the Chargers because, as I say, Russell Wilson, 13 24, 283 yards, three touchdowns. He did have one horrible interception. Uh, Latavius Murray looked wonderful. 15 carries for 103 yards and a touchdown. Uh, and just Corton Sutton caught a touchdown. Tyler Beatty or Baddy in his first... I'd love Baddy. That'd be a much better way of pronouncing it. In his first ever game, scores a touchdown. Um, Eric Thompson gets a touchdown as well. I loved this game. Even though there was nothing on the line, it was good to see the Broncos doing something. And I think we finally, everyone just agrees, the problem was Nathaniel Hackett. Uh, Jake, did you catch any of this game? What was your thoughts? I've seen bits and pieces, but this this is the Broncos team we've been waiting for all year. 
And, you know, they've, they must have an offensive genius at uh, head coach or offensive coordinator all of a sudden because this, like I say, all off-season, this is what we were expecting. This is what we were hoping to get week in, week out. And now we're finally getting it. It's a heck of a time to get it, especially for Russell Wilson. He can dine off this now. and You're only as good as your last game. Well, he'll be hoping people b- believe that uh, going into going into training camp and the offseason going, hey, look, I wasn't the problem. And I think that certainly will become the narrative and the story. And we will go again with Broncos' hype, hopefully, next year. And let's hope they live up to it a bit more. But... But on the Chargers side, like you say, Keenan Allen, a, a fantasy team nightmare this year because he's injured for most of it. Yeah. And now that the fantasy season's over, he's beating Keenan Allen. <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is who I drafted. You know, I drafted you for this reason. But uh, yeah, he's he's phenomenal. Always underrated. Even when he's now being, you know, talked about, he's still criminally underrated. They, they've got some good, you know, good weapons there. Carter, Palmer. I mean, Austin Eckler. I yeah, think Mike Williams... Injured his back in this, and it's done done for the wild card, possibly the entire playoffs, which is not great when you don't really have anything to play for. for the Chargers they were in the playoffs no matter what, as far as I'm aware. So losing uh, you know one of your key weapons in a kind of nothing game is not great, especially from a coaching perspective. There's got to be questions asked in terms of you know sometimes keeping your stars in too long. And it kind of comes back to bite you a little bit. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I was sort of bemused as to why Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, and Mike Williams were playing. Well, they, they they couldn't. It, it meant nothing to them. Now I understand you're saying, well, you know, we don't like to rest them uh, because you want to get some momentum and stuff. But as soon as Mike Williams got hurt, uh, I think everyone, every Chargers fan, was like, right, everyone needs to come out. But Herbert continued to play, and so did Keenan Allen, and so did Austin Eckler. And I was going, "What's going on here? You should, you should not do this." Because <laughs> could you imagine if Justin Herbert had got injured? I think we've seen three different ways of handling a week eighteen nothing game. I mean, yeah. the Bucks kind of killed momentum and looked average. The the Vikings kind of did it perfectly. They looked phenomenal for a half, and then said, "That's good enough for me." Yeah. <laughs> and then the Chargers looked okay, you know, had some good things go, but kept them in too long. And then all of a sudden, you've got good momentum for, you know, Herbert and Eckler and Allen. They all look great, but you've now lost Mike Williams. So you've overplayed your hand a little bit. And it, there is no right answer. You know, there'll be teams that, was it the Colts one year, pay man and rested them like two weeks, and then they immediately lost. Yeah. And then there's other teams that play the starters to keep momentum going and, and you know, carry that momentum there's pros and cons to all of it and it is a guessing game i mean mike williams doesn't get hurt happy days but like you say if, if justin herbert goes down tears his acl everyone is gonna be calling that head coach to be strung up let alone fired so i, I never quite understand it when you've got nothing to play for momentum yeah is great but when you're paying justin herbert and you, you've got justin herbert quarterback i'm not you know we've mentioned with uh deshaun watson being off for basically two years there might be a bit of rust if you miss two, three quarters, I'm not giving you the rust excuse, I'm afraid. No, definitely not. Uh, so we're then going to move on. Oh, just, just before we do move on, and because I'm talking with the Broncos, you know, I've always got someone else to say. Oh, we've, we've got something <laughs> else. No, 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 it's nothing like that. Nothing like that. It's just that, obviously, the Broncos are going to be looking for a new head coach in the offseason. Now, people are throwing names about, talking about... I can um, throw one. 
Yeah, which one? I can, I can, I mean, if you could be interested and you want to give us a first round pick, I can suggest a great offensive guru, <laughs> Sean Payton. Listen, if, if I thought that we could get Sean Payton, I'd give you two first round picks for it. But we don't have two first round picks. We've only got one <laughs> because we gave all we'll the other for Russell Wilson. <laughs> so Tra- trade but, someone else away so we can get another one. Yeah, I'm more than happy to do that because I, I think with this game, this has made the Broncos um, a much more attractive position. Just this one game. And I know it sounds daft when you're saying, you know, oh, what you can't, that's no sample size, one game. But I think the circumstances, the circumstances were that Hackett was there all the time and the offense looked terrible. Two weeks he's not there and all of a sudden the offense looks so much better. And Russell Wilson in his one game looked like Russell Wilson. You're like, oh my word. And the week before, he looked good. He ran for two touchdowns. You know, he did well. They didn't win the game, but he looked good. This game, he looked much better. And I think perhaps an offensive-minded coach, someone like Sean Payton, would go, do you know what? I reckon I could come into this. I reckon I could. Uh, also, the rumour is that if Sean Payton becomes the head coach, Vic Fangio. Vic Fangio. A familiar face. Brought in as All reliable coordinator now I, personally i don't think that would happen i don't know if fangio would want to come back to the broncos as a defensive coordinator but if he did i would have no problems with that because i love a giro evero the current defense coordinator for the broncos he's fantastic uh, i think the broncos will, will actually be lucky to hang on to him he did such a great job this year um and so if he does go then i'm saying bring fangio in bring him in because the, the, most of the pieces are still there. You've still got Justin Simmons. You've still got uh, Patrick Sartan. You've still got Kareem Jackson. Uh, the, the linebackers, Josie Jewell and um, uh, Donaldson, just, it's a great team. It really is. Defensively, the players are there. And next year, you're coming back, you've got Javante Williams. You've got Tim Patrick. These are big names. You've got KJ Hamlet. All these to come back to the team. So, I, I think that it's a much more attractive proposition now than it was three weeks ago to any coach coming in. Because I think three weeks ago, no coach would have touched the Broncos with the barge pole. They'd be like, I'm not taking this on. We'd, Russell Wilson looks garbage, and we've got him almost guaranteed for another three years. Uh, I know he signed like a, what is a, a seven-year contract, but, you know, a, after the three years thing. Guaranteed money, isn't it? Guaranteed money. So three years uh, definite uh, of that. But after this, I think a lot of coaches might be like, I could work with that. Yeah. Do you know what? I'll take that on. I I completely agree with you. And as I mentioned, it is always, you know, you're only as good as your last game. And this was the Broncos team we all expected. And on the flip side, I think it's also a pretty, not a a win-win, because if you flunk out and you're one and done as a head coach, it never looks good. But if you say, oh, Sean Payton, or whoever, you know, an offensive um you know, minded head coach and you go to the Broncos and, you know, say worst case scenario, Russell Wilson looks like the first half of the season, Russell Wilson and the Broncos kind of store. You almost got an out of being like, well, it wasn't just me. You know, you yeah. know it happened to Hackett as well. You know, you not, I feel like Hackett has obviously took Russell Wilson and everyone knows how good Russell Wilson can be. And there was issues and it's like, who's really to blame? Is Wilson just finished or, you know, not as good as we thought? Or is Hackett, like you say, Hackett's gone and, and Wilson's kind of refound that form. 
I, I think if you know offensive coordinator comes over or offensive managed head coach, it's a, it's a win-win. If if Russell Wilson continues to be who we we expect him to be and who we we know him to be, you will get the praise mm-hmm. as, as along with Russell Wilson. And if he sucks. You've all not gotten out. You're still going to probably lose your job, but you won't get as much heat as you would have, um, such as Nathaniel Hackett this year when everyone's going, hold on, this is not the Russell Wilson we know and love. Or maybe not everybody loves him because he is a bit corny, but you know he, he's a fun quarterback to watch. And in the in the league, especially as a neutral for a lot of games, you, you want to see these kind of quarterbacks be, be as good as you, you know they can be. So going forward, I completely agree with you. I think it has kind of helped the Broncos' stock and kind of marketing going forward. And it's certainly going to be an interesting kind of off-season for the Broncos in terms of the, the direction going forward. But like I say, they do have things in place. It's not a, re- it's not a rebuild. Like they've got great weapons on offense, defense. Go for it. Why not? Yeah. We might end up having another off-season of uh, a lot of Broncos talk. Yeah, well, well, we need to wait and see what happens. Uh, so we're going to move to the NFC East where the Philadelphia Eagles were taking on the New York Giants at Lincoln Financial Field in front of 69,879 fans trying to wrap up that number one seed with the 49ers halting their tail. But the Eagles managed to prevail with a 22-16 victory over the Giants. And uh, Davis Webb, quarterback for the Giants, thrown in at the deep end, 23 of 40, 168 yards, one touchdown, no picks, wasn't sacked, looked pretty good actually. But Jalen Hurts was back on form for the Eagles, 20 of 35, 229 yards, didn't throw a touchdown, did have one pick, but he didn't really need to because the running game was fine. Boston Scott, 9 for 54 and a touchdown, Kenneth Gainwell, 5 for 35, even Miles Sanders chucked out 33 yards there as well, and the Philadelphia defense did the rest, and they come away with a 20. 20- 2-16 win over the Giants. Jake, it wasn't the most entertaining game from a neutral point of view, but I think the Eagles will just be glad to get Jalen Hurts back and certainly glad that they got that number one seed and the first week bye in the playoffs. What did you think? Well, a team that definitely uh, needed the bye and would be thankful for the bye. I mean, it's great to see Jalen Hurts back in play, but this is the best case scenario. You see him back in play, you, you know, you know what you've got with him. Try and ease him back in, and now you've got a bye week to make sure everything's okay. Rest up and go forward. Because the Eagles are definitely a team to be feared. And then for the Giants, it was a pretty, you know, a, a free game in terms of go out there, try a few different things, put all eyes really on next week, and and seeing if they can kind of keep not necessarily momentum, but keep this kind of story going and, and keep the energy going. I mean, they're playing against. Um, the Vikings and as we've kind of mentioned the Vikings love a close game I'm looking forward to that game and and in terms of this game like you say it was kind of a free for all the Eagles relied on their running game as they always do kind of got back on track rest up now and the Giants kind of tried a few different things they had three different people attempt a, a pass I believe or some sort of pass the Russian, Russian, I mean, Gary Brightwell led it. Uh, their wide receivers, I mean, even Con- Kenny Golladay got two, two uh, catches. That's how you know the Giants were resting players. Like Kenny Golladay actually turned up and got a catch. Not the, uh, was it 78 or something he needed for his bonus, but he, <laughs> he got two. Quite. Yeah, not not quite the, the, the 70, 70, yeah, 78, 78 catches that he needed. Uh, I have no idea how many he needed. I remember sending it to you and thinking, I don't think he's going to get this somehow, but you <laughs> never know. And, well, at least he actually turned up this time because he's been 
MIA for, for the most part, but yeah, it's a, a, bit, a bit of a, a nothing game, but certainly two teams to keep an eye on going forward. So we then moved to the NFC West, and it was the Seattle Seahawks and Los Angeles Rams at Lumen Field in front of 68,660 fans. And I thought the Rams were going to win this one. They were winning this one. And then Baker Mayfield throws a horrendous interception. It was absolutely awful, which gifted the Seahawks a chance to, uh, to come back. And they win this one um, in overtime, 19-16 to 16 off the boot of Jason Myers. Now, Geno Smith uh, looked fairly pedestrian in this game. He, he's not looked the same over the past few weeks he did earlier in the season. 19-31, 213 yards, one touchdown. He did have two interceptions. Uh, Baker Mayfield, though, I I was rooting for him. I was absolutely rooting for Baker Mayfield when he came to the Rams to do well. But, oh my word, that interception was horrendous. And it just cost the Rams this game. It puts the Seahawks uh, in. And what can you say, Jake? I mean, the Seahawks will be just loving what's happened to them this year after the offseason. Everybody thought they were going to be one of the worst teams in the entire league. Finished bottom of the division. And you know what? They finished nine and eight. I mean, what can you say about them? Well, the the number thirty two in the power rankings at the start of the year, and all of a sudden you're playing a wild card game. I mean, that's 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 certainly as we were talking about with the Bills having something to play for. The Vikings will never feel out of it. The Seahawks will have plenty of motivation and kind of speeches from from Pete Carroll and and all sorts of. Kind of behind the scenes stuff to go. Okay, Every, nobody expected us to be here. Everybody counted us out. Why? You know, why not us? That is the mentality they will take. Like I say, they have been a bit off the boil. Well, Juno Smith himself has been off the boil a little recently, but Kenneth Walker looks like the real deal. I mean, twenty nine carries, one hundred and fourteen yards. He's when he's been healthy has been fantastic. DJ Dallas is a a, a big boy uh, running back who I quite like. I mean, wide receivers say say no more with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. They they are no kind of pushover, and they certainly surprise a few. And then, as for the Rams, I would not advise Baker Mayfield to show his face in Detroit anytime soon. He's probably not a very popular man in Detroit right now, and I was very upset at the time. I've I've not wanted the Rams to win many games, but I wanted the Rams to win this game for for Detroit and for the Lions. And uh, yeah, it was not, especially after, since he's been at the Rams, he's, he's looked very good and had obviously good moments. As with Russell Wilson ending the season, you know, you're only as good as your last play or your last win. It's not a great look for Baker Mayfield, that one, and it's uh, a bit of a, a tough one to swallow. It is indeed, and uh, I think you're right there. Uh, myself, yourself, and Dave, obviously, and Ewan were all praying that the Rams <laughs> win this game. And they didn't. Because the next game, the final game we're going to talk about, was the NFC North with the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field in front of 78,191 fans welcoming the Detroit Lions. And uh, the Lions did their bit. They come away with a 20-16 victory over the Packers. Jamal Williams, with two touchdown runs in this game, breaks Barry Sanders' franchise record for touchdowns in a season. It was nice to see Barry offering him a, a video on Twitter there, um, congratulating him on his record-breaking franchise record-breaking season. Uh, the Lions did everything right. 
in this game. Everything that they could possibly do. Jared Goff didn't make a single mistake in this game. And yet, it wasn't enough. They did what they could, but Baker Mayfield <laughs> knocks them out to the playoffs. Oh my goodness, it was horrendous. Uh, this is a good game by all accounts, though. I, the Packers, I don't know what happened to the Packers this season. It's it's been a bizarre year for the Packers. Some some weeks they've looked awful, and other weeks they've looked like you know the Packers we thought we were going to get. But um, I mean, Aaron Rodgers seventeen to twenty seven, two hundred and five yards, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, compare that to Jared Goff twenty three of thirty four, two twenty four, no touchdowns, no picks. He was only sacked once in this game. As I say, he did have a fumble, but he, you know he didn't lose the fumble. Um, and I don't know. The 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 def- from the defensive side, the Detroit uh, Lions. I mean, Kirby Joseph looked brilliant. He had um, five tackles and he had the interception as well. And Aiden Hutchinson doing it again. He had two quarterback hits, two sacks, uh, three tackles in this game. And definitely, I mean, I said before he was my pick for defensive rookie of the year. He absolutely solidified it with this performance for me. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson has looked fantastic and I think the Lions have got a lot of things, good things, to look forward to going into next year. What do you think? Yeah, this is one of the teams earlier when I was talking about the Jags, the lovable losers no more. I mean, they won eight of their last ten and got into a game where you'd already known you're not in the playoffs, no matter what you do. You're not in the playoffs. All you can do is upset the Packers and, and play, you know, for pride. And it's hard not to love this Lions team. Said it at the start of the year, and I'll say it again at the end of the year. They are just a team you can love and you can get on board with, and you can hope they do well. And I certainly was hoping they were going to sneak into the playoffs. I mean, like I say, Aiden Hutchinson falling just shy of double digits, nine and a half sacks on the season. Uh, Jamal Williams, very sweet for him against the Packers, a former team um, where they, they were like, oh, we wish we could have kept him on. And he came out and be like, well, you, you could have. It's literally like, it's that simple. If you wanted me, you would have kept me on. And uh, to, to break a franchise record, especially a franchise record held by Barry Sanders against your old team that, you know, wanted to keep you so badly but didn't, uh, that, that's got to be uh, icing on the cake. So you know, good. It's good enough as it is, but that that's certainly got to take the the cherry. Jared Goff. I mean, what can you say about him this season? Everyone thought he was just a a stopgap yeah, kind yeah. of quarterback until Detroit found their franchise quarterback. Well, maybe stop looking. I mean, the guy threw like nine interceptions this year. Like was it some like twenty nine touchdowns? These aren't numbers that I'm checking. I just kind of off the top of my head, and I'm remembering he's had a heck of a season. He threw for like four and a half thousand yards. I mean. He's looked like Jared Goff kind of when he was at the Rams and had no pressure. Jared Goff looked like this. And even when he's getting pressure now, he's making smart decisions and better decisions. He's definitely, yeah, he's definitely matured as a player. Absolutely. And and the Packers have paid the price for kind of, like you say, their story of the season in terms of very stop-start. They can't really, they've never kind of built momentum or back-to-back games. And they kind of paid the price. And ultimately, they they shouldn't have been in the, the playoffs and, I'm very proud and, and happy that the Lions did go out there and play their hearts out. Even though they had nothing on the line, no one would have really held it against them too much if the Lions went out there and went, you know, maybe we don't risk some of our players. You know, maybe we don't care that much. You know, we'll just turn up. They they, they fought for it. They went for those kind of records and those nice things, and, and they played spoiler. And 
when you can upset and kind of spoil a division rival, that's got to be, you know, you can take some solace in that at least. You certainly can. And that wraps up our week 18 and in fact our 2022 regular season roundup. Thank you very much for that one, Jake. So the uh, this is how the playoff picture looks. In the AFC, uh, number one seed, we have the Kansas City Chiefs, 14-3. and three. Uh, Number two, the Buffalo Bills, 13-3. and three. Obviously, they played one game less. Bengals, 12-4, and four, the three seed. Jacksonville Jaguars with a fourth seed at 9-8. and eight. The Chargers with a fifth, 10-7. Uh, and seven. Tied to the Baltimore Ravens, but they get the fifth seed due to conference win percentage. Miami Dolphins pick up that seventh one of head-to-head record 9-8 and eight over the Pittsburgh Steelers. And in the a- in the NFC, sorry, we have the Philadelphia Eagles at 14-3, and 49ers at 13-4, and four. Minnesota Vikings pick up the third seed at 13-4, and four, but the 49ers had a better conference win percentage. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers get the fourth seed, Dallas Cowboys fifth, New York Giants sixth, and the Seattle Seahawks get seventh due to head-to-head record with the Detroit Alliance. That is how the playoff picture looks. Uh, when we come back, we're going to have the preview of the wild cards and then, of course, random stats. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to the WinFL show, and I'm here with Jake McGee, and we are now looking towards a wild card weekend. And there are, of course, six games this wild card weekend, and we're going to start with the Saturday game, uh, Saturday afternoon game with the Seattle Seahawks at the San Francisco 49ers. Jake, I've got the 49ers winning this one at home. I got Brock Purdy doing it again, and I've got them winning it fairly convincingly, actually, with a score of 30 to 20. Well, that would kind of fit perfectly into what some of the bookies are thinking that the 49ers are nine and a half points favorites so you would have them just covering the the over-unders at 42 and a half they're expecting a bit, maybe a less scoring uh but I, I also have the 49ers winning quite comfortably i, I reckon 31 to we'll go 24 I, I, maybe the seahawks cover you never know you never know. Uh, and then on a later Saturday game, we have the Los Angeles Chargers at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, it's in Jacksonville. I think the Jaguars do it again. I think the Chargers also being without Mike Williams is going to affect them. And I think the Chargers are going to roll this right into the divisional playoffs. I've got the Chargers, uh, the Jaguars winning this one by a score of 27-21. I think this would be my early contender for Game of the Week already. This is one of the games I'm most looking forward to. It is the closest game in terms of the spread. The Chargers are two points favourites, even you know as they're the fifth seed playing away. It's hard to kind of see. I mean, uh, this is going to be a close game. I, I really yeah. do think so. I'm going to say the Chargers 24 to 21. I, I just really look forward to this game, and I certainly won't be upset if the Jags do pull it off. We then come to the Sunday games. We have three games on the Sunday. The first one being the early kickoff to the Miami Dolphins at the Buffalo Bills. We've already mentioned it. Two else not playing in this game. Can't see the Bills losing this one at home. Got them winning this one fairly comfortably by a score of 34-17. to Yeah, with the, with the news that two is out, the spread. We've gone from the, the closest game to the furthest game. 13 points they, they're giving the Bills here. Ooh. I think it's going to be a, a relatively convincing um, win. I'll go 28 to 10. We then have the New York Giants at the Minnesota Vikings. And 
I've got to say, I'm liking Kirk Cousins at home. Um, we'll see what the Giants are able to do, but I think being at home is going to help them. I think Justin Jefferson's going to have a monster day against the Giants, and I've got them winning this one by a score of 28 to 19. I think the, the bookies know, and I think I know, it's going to be a one-score game. Somehow, some way, the Vikings will make it interesting. They'll make it dramatic, and they'll win 27 to 24. <laughs> And then in the final game on Sunday, we have the Baltimore Ravens at the Cincinnati Bengals. It looks like Lamar's not playing for the Ravens. So once again, I'm going with the home team, taking the Cincinnati Bengals to win this one fairly comfortably. I don't think the Ravens defense will be able to stop Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon, etc. And I've got the Bengals winning this one fairly comfortably. Score of 35-17. to 17. Yeah, the Bengals getting seven points and how much can really change in a week? Surely you would just see a repeat here and the Bengals go out to a victory. I do think it's going to be maybe a bit more tense, a bit closer. I'll go 20 to 17, a close game, but the Bengals win out. And the final game, wildcard weekend, is on the Monday. Uh, and the Dallas Cowboys are travelling to Tampa to take on the Buccaneers. And for the first time, I'm taking the away team to win. This is more hopes than anything else. I've got, the, <laughs> I've got the Cowboys winning this one in a close one. I've got this one. It's 27-26 to Dallas. It's uh, sad times when one of the most hated teams in the NFL, America's team, the Dallas Cowboys are suddenly the, the <laughs> fan favourite. Um, but yes, they're, they're, they are getting oh, they're, they're two and a half point favourites. I think it will be a close game. I have the most faith in the Dallas defence of all the units in this game. So I will give them the, the win. I will go 21 to 14 to Dallas. So there we have it. That's it. It's not much in the way of uh, the usual previews. So we have the rapid fire uh, regular season previews because we've only got six games to cover, but it's going to be exciting. I really can't wait for it, Jake. Uh, if there's one game that you're looking forward to most, which one is it? Is it the Jags, Jags Chargers? It's the, the Jags Chargers. I, that is mu- must watch TV for me. And I, I will be quite disappointed if either team wins uh, by a romp. I want to see drama in that game. I just, yeah, that, that for me. I will be uh, making sure that is appointment TV. Now, speaking of must-watch TV, um, I'm just going to wee shout-out here to one of our friends, uh, the Star Inn in Stornoway, uh, which recently reopened. It's actually going to be showing wildcard games uh, this weekend. They're showing Game 1 on Saturday night, which is the Seahawks and the 49ers. They're going to be showing that one. And then wildcard Game 3 on Sunday, uh, which will be the Dolphins and the Bills. They're going to be showing that game as well. That's in the Starin and Stornoway. So if you're in the area... Isle of Lewis, get yourself over to the start and watch the wild card games there. And uh, it looks like they're going to be trying to show as many games going forward as they can in the start in. So we shout out to them. Can I was just going to say that that is absolutely fantastic. It's something that um, uh, me, yourself, other people that we know uh, have been crying out for. And to have someone willing to do that and put those kind of games on, hopefully, it's the start of something beautiful. And it's something that we can keep going and kind of gain as much interest as possible. You just never know. And it's exactly, you know, how game, how the game grows, how things like the podcast grow. And you just never know who you'll meet, you know, at a game, at a pub, and you've got a common interest. I mean, if, if you are free, why not go down? 
Absolutely, and you never know, you might even meet one of us there. One of these games. Uh, so, Eternius, that's, once again, that's a star in, in Stormy, uh, looking to be showing the wildcard games, showing game one uh, on the Saturday afternoon, and then, uh, Saturday evening, sorry, and then game three, which is the Sunday uh, afternoon game between the Miami Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills. Uh, so, thanks to them. And uh, before we do our final segment, Jake, we've got another shout out. Uh, we're actually doing a giveaway on Twitter. It's, it's live just now, so you can go onto Twitter and find us at the winner. NFL show where we're giving away a, a large Broncos Von Miller top um, this is in association with the Empty House Traders and Lewis Revival and they've kindly donated us this top to giveaways so all you need to do is go on to Twitter at the WinFL show you'll find the tweet on there it'll be, it'll be pinned to the top of the page uh, although I don't think I've done that so I better do that pin it to the top of the page um, and all you need to do is like follow and retweet to be able the chance to win that top we're going to be doing another giveaway as the postseason goes on we've got some trading cards uh, including some some unopened packs unopened oh, trading i know the best kind the best, the best kind. kind we have some unopened packs of trading cards that we will be uh giving away to to one lucky person the winner will of course be chosen at random um so feel free to do that and of course feel free to follow up myself uh on on twitter jake is on twitter as well uh dave's on twitter i don't think ewan's on twitter pretty sure he's not so it's He's probably half a Twitter. It's just nobody knows what it is, and it's certainly not named you. And I guarantee he, that he may be aware of the existence of Twitter. And in fact, do you know what? Maybe he's got like one of those weird accounts where he's like probably got fifty thousand followers somewhere, but it's under a completely different name, and he's tweeting about things that have no relation to anything that would ever pin him to <laughs> to the island. Um, that wouldn't surprise me at all. He's a, he's a mysterious being, are you? And, and uh, yeah, uh, honestly, we'll probably find out that he went. 32 he, he was the best draft pick last year you just never know he probably probably has his own website i wouldn't put it past him neither would i um so yeah so jake we are do now come to our final segment and it is of course random stats so jake it's been a while since uh, we've uh, had you on for the full show so why don't you go first for your random stat and tell us uh, tell us what it is i'm looking forward to this one yeah, well, I teased it a little bit earlier, and this is a stat, and these are my favorite kind of stats, where you find it, and you think, oh, that's, that's a pretty cool stat, and then something else gets pointed out, and you think, okay, that takes it to the next level. So the initial stat that I found, the 49ers finished the regular season on a 10-game win streak. That's five wins by Jimmy Garoppolo, five wins by Brock Purdy. Uh, like I say, it was mainly more six wins by Purdy, but yeah. that, that ruins my stats, so we won't go with that. Uh, the last team to have different quarterbacks with consecutive five-game win streaks was the 1972 perfect Dolphins with Bob Greasy and Earl Morrill. Now, this is the 50th anniversary of the 1972 Dolphins. And you know what the best part is, Neosa? The, the little golden nugget that I found? What's that? Guess who the 49ers quarterback coach is. The 49ers quarterback coach? Yeah. I've, I've got no idea who is it. Brian Greasy. Shut up. Boom. Is it actually Brian Greasy? That, 100%. I had to do Someone said it and I was like, that's too perfect. Not a chance. It is. That's absolutely amazing. He actually played for the Broncos. Very, they were very. the first, first father and son to win a Super Bowl, weren't they? 
Um, do you know? I, I think, think that might be another random stat. But, uh, yeah, bonus, uh, bonus random stat. I think you might be right there. Uh, Brian Greasy played for the Broncos when he was uh, very young. Um, and I think he was actually the third stringer when in Elway sort of last year, 1998. I think Bobby Brister was the backup. And I'm, I'm convinced Brian Greasy was the third stringer uh, winning the Super Bowl in 1998 with that Broncos team. Uh, yeah, there you go. So he's the he's the quarterbacks coach for the 49ers. He's the quarterback coach. So he's seeing history in front of his own eyes. And uh, his dad, Bob, of course, you know, a great player for the Dolphins back in the day. And Errol Morrill keeps popping up in these random we stats. We can't, we can't keep him out. Just can't. You can't keep him out. In fact, I, I watched a video. It might have been, it was on YouTube. It might have been Jaguar Gator 8. Uh, who does who does these fantastic if you, if you don't if you've not seen him uh, his videos on YouTube he's got, actually got two channels Jaguar Gator 8 Jaguar Gator 9 um, and check him out on YouTube he does these amazing videos that go back in time and he talks about the interesting games the worst decision made in this game the you know things that happened in the playoffs the weirdest things that happened in week one or whatever um, and he did one I'm sure he did one on Earl Model. I'm going to need to find that because the sto- we've we've talked about Earl Model like half a dozen times this season alone. We're talking about a guy who's not played in God knows how long, but he keeps nearly fifty up. years. Fifty years, he keeps popping up. It's a, an insane. So I'm going to look into him more, and uh, I'll maybe actually talk about him next week. So um, that's a good random stat, though. I like that. It's very yeah, random. Oh, I love it. Fantastic. Uh, so my random stat is also quarterback centric. But as you know, um, I like my stats to be about offensive ineptitude. It's always, it's always good. But this stat technically isn't. It's about um, offensive prowess, but not at a very good level. That didn't make any sense. Now that I say it, <laughs> that's contradictory. But I'm <laughs> it's here very for it. contradictory. It's about the most passing yards in a season. Now, this year. Patrick Mahomes led the league with 5,250 yards. However, as we've already mentioned, Tom Brady set the record for the most completions and uh, attempts by a quarterback in a season, breaking his own record that he sent last year. A lot of checkdowns, as we know. So he was nowhere near the yards and nowhere near, near touchdowns, as in all, all-time records. But it got me to think, Patrick Mahomes was 5,250 yards, which is, it's a lot of yards. Uh, and it got me to thinking, what's the lowest amount of yards someone's thrown for but led the league? Now, we have to put this into perspective. We're not doing anything pre... Sorry, sorry so no strike years. So 1982 and 1987 are out because they were both strike years. And we're not doing anything pre-1978 because 1978 was the first year they had 16 games in a season. Okay? So it turns out that the lowest was actually in 1978. No surprise there. Fran Tark had done 3,468 yards. But that's not the actual season I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about 1997. Where Jeff George... I don't know if you remember Jeff George... Jeff George led the league, playing for the Oakland Raiders, with 3,000, 
917 yards. That is the first season since 1978 and to date the only season that not a single quarterback in the NFL threw for 4,000 yards. Not one. He led the league with 3,917. And as I've already mentioned, I'm not counting 1982 and 1987. They were strike-shortened seasons. Uh, To put it into perspective, for those uh, in 1982, uh, only nine games were played. Dan Feltz threw for 2,883 yards. And in 1987, uh, where it was 12 games, I believe, was uh, Neil Lomax, 3,387. But uh, Jeff George, in 1997, as the only quarterback since 1978 to throw for fewer than 4,000 yards in a season and lead the league. And that is my random stat. Again, like you've hit the nail on the head. Ineptitude, but maybe good, you know. Yeah, I mean, good, he led good, the league. Bad and the ugly. <laughs> he led the league in passing, but he didn't crack 4,000 yards. And, and, and ordinary, I mean, 4,000 yards is good. But the fact that nobody that year threw for 4,000 yards. It's just, it, it's crazy. Absolutely. You think of the years before that. 1996, Mark Brunel went for 4,300. In 95, Brett Favre, 4,400. In 94, Drew Bledsoe for the, uh, the Patriots, 4,500. 93, John Elway, 4,030. The only, the only year Elway threw for 4,000 yards in the season. In 1993. It's, it's a stat that will stand the rest of time because that, is never going to happen now. It's got to the point where 5,000 yards is a pretty average season, so I'm, I'm very so sorry, but that is a, a stat that is going to stick, yeah, and uh, I don't you'll forever have your name stood next to that. The, the lowest I can see in recent years, um, 2005, where Tom Brady had 4,100. But the, I'm saying recent years, 17 years ago. <laughs> I, when uh, Tom Brady was only 28. <laughs> he was only 28. <laughs> Quick maths. Hopefully that's not wrong maths. Uh, no, like no you're absolutely bang on. He was 28. He was 28. Okay. Tom, Tom Brady, what was the other one? Uh, Deshaun Watson, actually, in 2020, 4,823 uh, led the league. Uh, but oh, I mean, pathetic. It's, it's, it's 100 and, you know, 170 seven yards shy of 5,000 yards. But if, for someone to play 16 games, and now that it's 17 games, it'll just, it's yeah, absolutely. ridiculous. Um, so Patrick Mahomes, 5,250 this year, but the lowest there, Jeff George, 3,917 in 1997. And I say prior to that, the only person who'd thrown for fewer yards in a 16-game season was Fran Tarkenton at the ripe old age of 38 through th- for 3,468. Uh, sorry, 1978, I beg your pardon. So, yeah, there you go. Random stat. Love it. So, there we are, Very Jake. Random. Very good. We we managed to complete another episode of the WinFL show. And this was... Sub two hours. Sub two hours, by the way. Sub two hours. Eh, there you go. We're getting there. We're streamlining it. So, I can't think why. I can't think. I can't think the difference this week. <laughs> You're a terrible man. Do you know that? You're a terrible man. This was episode 47 of the WinFL show. We're coming up for the big 50. Now, we're coming up for a 50th episode. Um, we're hopefully going to be doing a couple of different things for a 50th episode. In fact, we might do a, a, a giveaway of the trading cards for the 50th episode. We might do it live. That'd be something good to do. Um, also, um, 
pre-Super Bowl, uh, we're going to be doing uh, or sort of a review of the year, which we'll have uh, in the week between the championship games and the Super Bowl. Um, and it's just not so much a review of the year in the NFL, more a review of our year doing hmm. the podcast. The um, good, the bad, and the ugly. The good, the bad, and the horrendously uh, ill-informed. <laughs> <laughs> um, where we will be reliving some of our preseason takes, for example. Um, uh, some of which I'm not proud of. I can tell you yeah. right now. So we're going to be doing that. So uh, we hope, uh, do you know what? A huge thanks to everyone who's been with us from when we started this podcast back in, in February of last year, the week before the Super Bowl was our very first episode. Um, and when we started this, I, I don't think any of us thought that it would have become as popular as it has. Uh, so a huge thanks to all of our followers and all of our listeners and people who follow us on Twitter. Um, everyone is listened on spotify and uh, google podcasts and apple podcasts and it's just been it's been crazy it's been wonderful i've loved every minute of it uh, i'm sure i speak for the rest of the guys when i say that uh, jacob you enjoyed this year it's not been a bad year has That's, it not at all like you say it's it started off as an idea a couple of years ago we kind of toyed with it thought about it put it on the back burner and then just kind of went for it and a lot of it is your hard work and your determination uh, you are a man that cannot be stopped. Uh, I'm just happy to be along for the ride and help you, you know, as much as I can when I can. Um, I, I, the only thing I can really take from it as a, as a part and word is something that Pat McAfee says from time to time, and it's be a friend, tell a friend. You know, the only way things can grow is by people sharing and, and talking about it. And say Twitter is great for that. It's it's so good to see so many followers and having open conversations and you know you're not just kind of talking into the void because that was always my worry is i can talk to to you i can talk to you and anytime about nfl you know for hours at a time but <laughs> what's it going to be just a case of us talking into the void so it's it's really nice to hear any feedback and, and kind of have any kind of conversation whether you think we're right whether you think we're wrong you'll see with uh, some of the reviews whether you think we're stupid some of it might be uh there might be some evidence that we are sometimes, but you know, <laughs> quite often, I think <laughs> quite often, more often than not. I mean, sometimes when you start celebrating the small victories, that's when you kind of maybe realize that we've got to take any victory you can get. But no, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Like I say, always happy to help out when and where I can, whether it's just little segments or days like today where you, where you need me full time. I'm always happy to help you, buddy. Thank you very much for that, Jake, and you'd very much appreciate it. As at all the guys, Dave and you and Tim, of course, not forgetting him. Um, and, you know, it's not that long ago, Jake, we actually managed to um, have uh, an ex-NFL player uh, for an interview, and the great Glenn Milburn, who was kind enough to donate uh, a few minutes of his time to us, uh, still holds that NFL record for most scrimmage yards in a game. It's not been beaten, so... Uh, I think what I might actually try and do is get a hold of one of Glenn Milburn's rookie cards. Let me see if we can get one of those from somewhere. Um, so there you are, Jake. That is us. Thank you very much. Anytime, buddy. And thank you to all of you listening. We will catch you on next week's edition of The Winifel Show.